Today's reading comes from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning again, everybody. If you haven't already turned there, I, I just want to encourage you to turn to Isaiah 6, what Alex just read. Thank you, Alex. And uh, I just want to give a, a thanks to, to Jamie and to you all for having uh, my wife and daughter and I here this morning. It's, it really is uh, a, an honor and it's a privilege to, to be just with another group of, of brothers and sisters in Christ and to worship with you, to, to sing to Jesus with you. Um, thank you, worship team, for leading us in, in such rich songs of worship. I loved, I loved all the songs this morning. Um, so, I'm just I'm I'm excited to to look at at this passage with you this morning this this uh, kind of this well-known passage of Isaiah's call and so uh, I'm just going to ask you to pray with me as we ask for God's help as we dive into His Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we praise you. You are a holy God, and we come to you this morning recognizing how much we need you. Uh, Lord, we, we need you every moment, uh, every, every breath we need you. And Lord, we need you every time we come to your word. Uh, every time we, we see something in your word that we didn't see before, every time we, uh, we are convicted or comforted or encouraged or, or challenged from your word, that is a gift of your grace. And so, God, again this morning, we, we need you. Uh, we need your spirit to come and to open up our eyes to see you more in your word, to see Jesus in all of his worth and his glory in your word. And so I ask that you would do that, that you would soften all of our hearts this morning to receive uh, what you would have for us. And God, we, we ask that you would change us, um, that we would leave here and that we would 
know more deeply who you are and that we would just be set ablaze to to carry the name of Christ to those that you have placed in our lives. And so we love you, we praise you, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. So something about me is I, I love to read. And a book that uh, has deeply impacted my life is an older book uh, by A.W. Tozer called The Knowledge of the Holy. Has anybody by chance read that book? So it's a little book. Uh, and in the beginning of this book, A.W. Tozer starts off with this profound statement. And he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So I'll say that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. How does that hit you this morning? Do you agree with that statement? Or you, do you, are, you, are you wrestling with that? I'm like, I'm not sure if, that's, if I agree. So let me ask you that question. What comes into your mind this morning when you think about God? What, what are words or, or images that come to mind? And I know sometimes it's hard in the moment to really think, so I just want to give us 10 seconds to, to silently reflect on that question. What comes into your mind when, we think, when you think about God? You know, this, this is a profound statement. And, and why did this author make this statement? You know, I believe he made this statement because if God is the God, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the one to whom all of existence is due, then it is of vital importance that we think about God clearly and, and rightly. Because how we think about God, how we view God, is going to impact how we view everything else in our lives. What you think about God determines what you think about yourself, about what you think about the people around you, what you think about work, about play, about school, about food, about time, literally everything. And, and so... This all-important question is one that we must continually be asking ourselves. We should be asking ourselves, how am I viewing God right now? How have I been viewing God lately? And I just want to commend to you by, by God's grace this morning, as we look at this passage in Isaiah 6, just ask this question, how, how am I viewing God? How do I view Him? Because in this passage, we, Isaiah gets this vision and we get to kind of come in on this vision. And this vision is one where God shows Isaiah and us who he is. Isn't that amazing? We get to see God reveal himself and we, we get to see him reveal him as he truly is. So here's the main thing that I would, I'd love for you to take away this morning from our passage it's the more clearly I see God as holy, the more clearly I will see myself and my purpose in life. 
the more clearly that we see God as holy, who he is, the more clearly we're going to see ourselves and our purpose in life. So we're going we're gonna to see in this passage what it looks like to see God clearly, to see ourselves clearly, and to see our purpose clearly. So first, seeing God clearly. Again, this is, it's a familiar passage. It's the call of Isaiah to his prophetic ministry. And in verse one, in, in just the first few words, we get this very important piece of context for, for what Isaiah witnesses. If you look at verse one with me, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. So who is this King Uzziah? He was the king of Judah, the, the southern kingdom of Israel, when Israel had split between a northern and a southern kingdom. And Uzziah was, for the most part, a good, godly king. He, it, his reign did not end well, but for most of his reign, he was a good king. And he reigned for 52 years. Just let that sink in. 52 years. I'm 32 years old. That means he would reign 20 more years of me living and, and that's like, that just seems, it's, it's hard to imagine because we, you know, we go through presidents every four years. But after 52 years, King Uzziah has died. And we can imagine that for the nation of Israel and for Isaiah, that there, there was temptations to, to fear, to have a, a feeling of instability and insecurity about the future. What what is going to happen to our nation now that this king is gone? Who is going to reign? Are they going to be a good king? Or are they going to be a bad king? And so what does Isaiah do? He, he goes to the temple. And we can imagine that he was even going there to seek the Lord on, on some of these things that he's wrestling with and processing. And what happens is that Isaiah goes to the temple and in the year that King Uzziah died, he gets a picture, a vision of a king on a throne that will never die. A king and a throne that will never pass away. And so look at verses one through four with me again. And I just want us to imagine that we are in Isaiah's shoes, that we are there with him seeing this. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. It's amazing. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So there's this incredible picture that we get of the throne room of God. And, you know, when we read that, we get this sense of the greatness and the power and the majesty of God. But there's, there's one word that should especially stick out to us. Can anybody volunteer what that word is? We sang about it. Holy, holy, holy. That, that word should stick out to us because not only do the seraphim, these, these angelic beings call out to one another in repetition, but all of this imagery points to the holiness of God. So verse one, we got the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. It's meant to give us a sense of his authority and his, his might and power. 
And then Isaiah, Isaiah says that the train of his robe filled the temple. So the train, that's kind of archaic sounding, the, the hem of his robe. So merely the hem of the Lord's robe filled the temple. It's meant to, to just give us this, this idea that God is so big that even the mere hem of his robe fills the temple. And not only that, but who are, who are standing around him? It's these seraphim. Seraphim literally means the burning ones. And you know, just as the Lord appeared in the burning bush and in the pillar of fire, when we see fire associated with God, it's meant to point us to kind of the, the even the danger and the mystery and the holiness of God. And these, these seraphim, they have these six wings. They're, they're these incredible creatures that we can imagine. But what are they doing with those wings? They're covering their face and they're covering their feet and they're flying with their wings. And it's meant to, to show us that even these mighty angelic creatures are still creatures in, in, in God's presence. They are, they, are so, uh, they are so basked in the holiness and glory of God that they have to cover their faces. And then all of this points to what they're, they're calling out to one another, what they're singing to each other even. And it says, can you, can you say this with me, what the seraphim are calling out? I'll say it together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And, and that, that is a, of incredible significance because in, in Hebrew scripture, which is what the Old Testament is written in, when they use repetition, we should always pay attention to words that are repeated because the seraphim don't merely say, holy is the Lord. They, they say it three times, holy, holy, holy. And R.C. Sproul, he was a, a pastor, an author. He wrote this classic book that I'd highly recommend. It's called The Holiness of God. And he describes why this is so significant. He writes, only once in sacred scripture is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. The Bible said that, God's, that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he is merely holy or even holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does say that he is holy, 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 that the whole earth is full of his glory. And so that repetition is meant to convey to us that this is who God is. So if God would ever have to give one word to describe himself, he would say, holy, we can imagine. And so what does that mean, that God is holy? Well, often when we think of that word, we might think of like purity or, or moral excellence. And, and that's certainly true. But, but literally, it means to be set apart, to be separate. It, it gives a sense of being a cut above the rest, like you're in a, a category of your own. You're unique. And, and that is who God is. It, it's what God's holiness is what makes God, God. 
His, his divine essence is holy. He is set apart. He is other. He is in a category of his own. And in a very real way, as, as he was saying, God is, he is not like us. His holiness is what runs throughout all of his other attributes. So you could say that God is holy, God is love, God is just, but, but actually what you would be actually more accurate in saying is that God, God's love is not just a regular love, it is a holy love. That his righteousness is not just a regular righteousness, it's a holy righteousness, that he is holy in his goodness, that he's holy in his wrath, that he's holy in his faithfulness. It means that he's, he's, he's the most of all those things. He's the standard for all those things. And you know, when we think of the holiness of God, when we really start to kind of comprehend it, it kind of makes us uncomfortable because it can be a little scary. A.W. Tozer, that author, he puts it well when he says, you know, we, we, we shouldn't think of God as the highest in an ascending order of beings starting with a single cell and going on up from the fish to the bird, to the animal, to a man, to an angel, to God. He says, God is as high above an archangel as above a caterpillar. For the gulf that separates the archangel from the caterpillar is finite, while the gulf between God and the archangel is infinite. See, God transcends our understanding. You know, this reminds me of, uh, I, I recently, we were in Canada, I, uh, Jamie was there as well, where we were at a Great Commission Collective Conference, and we went to Niagara Falls, our, our staff did, and, and I'd never been to Niagara Falls, and this was on the Canadian side, so you see Niagara Falls in all of its glory, and, and we actually got there at 10.30 at night, we got there super late, uh, but even in the dark and the lights on the falls, you were still just blown away by the power of the rush of the water that's just it just seems like it goes on forever and ever and it's, it's one of those things where the closer that you go to the falls the louder and louder the roar of the thunderous falls becomes to almost where you know we got as close as we could and we almost had to yell to hear one another and to think that even though those falls are so powerful and that you would be dead at a second if you fell over those falls, that the one who spoke those falls into being is our holy God. That Psalm 29 says, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So I, I wonder, how have you been viewing God lately? Have you been viewing him as holy? You know, it's, it's right and good and true to believe that God is our father. He's our friend. He's our protector, our comforter. But do you have a sense of the holiness of God? Because we can, we, we can go to a danger of over-familiarizing God we can st subtly start to view God as kind of our, our buddy God or, or as a, a wizened old grandfather God who, who gives us wisdom and advice when we need it. And we can begin to lose the, the awesomeness and the majesty and the splendor and the transcendence of God's holiness. And when we begin to lose that sense of authority that God has over our lives, what happens is we begin to be our own authority. When God is just someone who is always there for me, 
he becomes in our minds and hearts almost more of a sidekick rather than a king who directs us and commands us in his ways. So I wonder what would it look like this week even to, to spend some time reflecting and meditating on how God is holy. Maybe it's spending time in this passage or maybe you go to other passages of scripture where the holiness of God is emphasized. So you could go to basically any part of the book of Isaiah. It's all about God being holy. Or you could go to Psalm 24 or Psalm 29 or Luke 5 when Jesus calls Peter and Peter says, depart from me for I am a sinner. Or John's vision in Revelation 1. See, the more clearly we, we see God as holy, that leads us to more clearly seeing ourselves. This is what happened to Isaiah. So he's in the midst of this vision of seeing the Lord in his holiness. And verse 4 says, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Now look with me at verse 5 and how Isaiah responds. And, he, and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man, <clears throat> excuse me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah responds with this phrase, Woe is me. And this this was a prophetic pronouncement of judgment on himself. He he says, For I am lost. And in other translations, actually, I, I prefer other translations here because they say, for I am ruined. Or even an older one says, for I am undone. So Isaiah was completely undone in the light of God's holiness. Why? He says, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What happened was it was because Isaiah saw how holy the Lord was that he saw how unholy he was. See, that's what happens when we come near to God. Isaiah realized in a very visceral way that he was before a holy God and that the evil on his lips and in his heart could not be in the same room as this holy God. You know, Psalm 5, 4 says, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil cannot dwell with you. Sin cannot be in God's presence. And 1 Timothy 6.16 says that God is the one who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. You know, this is the one that Isaiah was in the presence of. You know what our biggest problem is? Is that we don't see God for who he is as holy and so we don't see ourselves for who we are as unholy sinners before a holy God. Because unless God opens up our eyes to our sinfulness, we are blind to it. And maybe you're here this morning and if someone were to ask you, are you a good person? You would say, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. But, but I would ask you, what, what is the standard you're comparing your, yourself to? Because what's our tendency? It's to compare ourselves to the people around us, right? We were like, we, we look at the people, especially the rougher ones, and we're like, man, compared to them, I'm pretty good. But, but who is Isaiah comparing himself to? He was comparing himself to the God who is holy, holy, holy. And when we honestly compare ourselves to 
Well, the holy God who is so pure that he dwells in unapproachable light, who is so spotless that nothing at all that is tainted with evil and sin can dwell in his presence, when we, are, when we compare ourselves to that God, then we crumble, we are undone. And the reality is that for those of us who believe that God is holy and we've trusted in Jesus, that the more that we grow in holiness and the more that we grow in our understanding of God's holiness, the, the more that we actually see our, our unholiness. You know, if you, if you ask a, a seasoned saint and you ask them, you know, do you struggle with sin ever? You, you may hear, man, I, I see my sinfulness more than I ever have seen it before. And they've been walking with the Lord for so many years. And you know, it's because when we get closer and closer to the light of Christ, it's like, it's like you're in the woods and you get lost in the woods and it's dark at night and you get lost and you're stumbling and you're tripping over yourself and you just get filthy. You, you get caked with mud. And you, you're in those woods for, for so long that you actually forget that you're filthy. But then at one point, you see a light in the distance. And then you start to walk towards that light. And as you walk closer and closer to that light, you begin to see the filth on you. And then when you, when you, when you get right up into the light's presence, you see how filthy you actually were. And in a similar way, the closer and closer we get to Jesus, the light of the world, by his grace, we begin to see the sin that is so easily entangling us, the sin that mars our hearts. And so we have to see Christ in his holiness so that we can see our sin for what it is and that we can hate it. Isaiah saw his sin for what is for what it was. And he saw that his sin particularly affected his speech. He says, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips. And how ironic is that this guy who was going to be a, a prophet, a preacher, he realized that where his sin was most prevalent was in his speech. And so I, I wonder this morning, how have you been viewing yourself lately? Or maybe I can ask it more specifically. How have you been viewing your sin lately? Have you been confessing your sin, acknowledging it, turning from it? Or have you noticed that you've been tending to excuse your sin, to minimize it, to, to blame others for your sin? Or maybe have you been having trouble even seeing your sin? I, I've been there. I, I get there at different points where I'm like, man, I, somebody asked me, like, where am I struggling? I don't, I don't know what I would say necessarily. And, and if someone were to ask you today, what are, what are some of your, your main sin patterns that you struggle with? Could you, could you answer them, you know, fairly quickly? And if you could answer that, could you answer, how are you fighting that sin? You know, this is why we need to see God more clearly as holy, because if we don't see him in his holiness, we're going to be unable to see our sinfulness. We're going to be blind to it and the, and the sin that, that poisons our hearts. And so what if even right now we just, we just pause again and we ask God in his grace to show us our sin, any areas that we haven't 
surrender to him, any, any, any unforgiveness that we've been holding on to, any, any bitterness, any pride, any lust. Let's just take 30 seconds and ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit who helps us to see our sin so that we can repent of it. You know, it's, it's hard to see our sin for what it is. And, and when, we, when we do see it, that, that, that feeling of guilt can be overwhelming as we recognize how far we have fallen short of God's standard. But there is, there's good news, and there's good news in this passage. And the good news is that the holy God is the God of grace. Look at verses six and seven with me. See, so Isaiah is undone by this recognition of God's holiness and his sinfulness, but God doesn't leave him there. Verse six says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Man, praise God that, that he is a God of forgiveness, that God, God comes to Isaiah here. Do you see that? that? What does Isaiah do to get his guilt taken away or his sin atoned for? He does, he does nothing. Isaiah just receives. He receives forgiveness. He receives redemption and atonement. This burning coal is a symbol of grace, and it comes from the altar, from where God is. And so this is who God is, that, that God is not a God who waits for sinners to come to him, that we are coming into this Advent season, and we're, we're celebrating this amazing reality that God did not wait for us. Because in the reality of our, our sinfulness is that we would never have been able to come to God and we never have, would have wanted to come to God in our sin. But, but God came for us to this earth in the form of man in, in, in Jesus Christ. And he came for us so that we could be made holy. A holy God came and took on human flesh so that unholy sinners could be reconciled with him through Jesus's life and death and resurrection. And so the amazing thing is, is that when we look at scripture, that, that this holy God, he gives us his Holy Spirit when we trust in Jesus by faith. And I, I, I just have to ask, if, if you have never trusted in Jesus this morning, Today is the day that you can do that, that you can trust that he is enough for your salvation, that his death was enough, and that he promises that he's going to make you holy progressively by his Holy Spirit. And, 
if you're here this morning and you have received the, the gift of God by his Holy Spirit, know afresh that even in your sinfulness, if you're feeling that this morning, that God is working in you day by day by day to make you more and more like Jesus. See, the more clearly we see God as holy, the more clearly we see ourselves as in need of his grace. And that makes us ready to receive his grace uh, more readily. And finally, when we see that, the more clearly we see our purpose in life. So look finally at verse eight. Look how Isaiah responds after he has seen God's holiness, he sees his sinfulness, he receives God's grace. He responds in verse eight, it says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Isaiah had his guilt taken away. He had received this gift of unmerited grace. And so what Isaiah knew and that what we know as followers of Jesus is that our biggest problem has been dealt with. Isn't that amazing? That you think of all the problems in life, all the things that happen to us, all the things that we're responsible for. But if we have been declared innocent and righteous before a holy God, that our biggest problem is taken care of. And it was taken care of 2,000 years ago on that cross. And, and Isaiah knew this in that moment. Isaiah knew, I, I, I've, been, I've been redeemed. And so what was his natural response to, to that redemption? It was to want to be used by God, to see his purpose in life, to be God's messenger. And just like Isaiah, when we surrender our lives to Christ in faith, he makes us his messengers. Now we're not in, in the same specific office as Isaiah's, as an Old Testament prophet, but God calls us ambassadors for Christ. He calls us to proclaim his excellencies. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says, but you, that's for all who are Christians, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, we have been declared holy by a holy God to show the world that God is holy and deserving of our adoration, our devotion, and that he has come and that he offers forgiveness. He offers a way of salvation. And you know, if you go on and read the rest of that chapter in Isaiah 6, and I encourage you to do so, it's not like Isaiah is called to this like comfortable, super successful ministry. What the Lord actually tells him is, hey, the, the words that you are gonna say and speak on my behalf they are actually going to further harden the hearts of the hearers because what you do what you are doing Isaiah you are pronouncing judgment on the nation of Israel for their sin and he will have hope in his message but what's going to happen first is that there is going to be hearts that are hardened as a result of his message but but what fuels Isaiah for this this mission even in the hardness and the pain that he's going to experience 
and what fuels us for our mission, even when it gets hard, even when there's pain and we, we feel like we're ready to give up? What fuels us when we feel just dry in our mission? What fuels us is meditating on the holiness of God and receiving afresh the gift of God's grace in Jesus. When we regularly go back to the well, when we, when we reflect on, wow, God is so holy and so worthy of my devotion and my, my praise and my life, and I don't deserve anything from him, and yet, even in my sin, Jesus chose me and called me to the Father and died for me, that is where our motivation comes from. You know, I, I experienced this actually twice in the last week. Uh, it was in God's grace that he, he was doing this in my own life. But it happened to me twice where last Sunday I had a hard day, like just a bad mental day. I don't know if you ever have those where it's just like you feel like you're in a pit and you can't get out of the pit. And it was like that the whole day. And I just felt like I, I didn't know purpose. I, I just felt like I wasn't being used by God. And then later on this week, there were some hard moments with family during Thanksgiving. Did anybody have hard moments with family during Thanksgiving? Just, you know, you, you grow up and you, you become different people and there's, there's just friction and it gets hard. And I, I just saw my own sin this week. I saw how prideful and self-righteous and self-pity I can act in. And you know what, what got me out of both of those pits was, was going to this passage and, and reflecting on that, that God is holy and, and that he has given me this gift of grace and that in Jesus, that, that I am accepted, that I am loved, that I, my biggest problem is taken care of and that he hasn't called me to, to, to stay in the pit. You know, he hasn't called me to, to get people to come and, and reach out to me. He's called me to go. He's called me to be sent. He's called me to, to, to go as he went, to reach out. And so I wonder if, if you're feeling that way at all this morning. If you're feeling, I just need like a fresh fire for the Lord. And I just want to plead on your behalf and, and plead with you to ask God to like, to pour into your heart afresh an, an awareness of his holiness this week, an awareness of your need for Jesus, an awareness of the immense gift of grace that you have received in him, and that you out of that would go with a, a passion to display the love of Christ to the people around you, to speak about what you have experienced in Christ. And so I'm just going to pray and, and the worship team will come up and then we'll close. But I'll, 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 I'll lead us in prayer, but I would encourage you just pray with me for that this week. Father, thank you so much that you are holy, holy, holy. The earth is full of your glory. God, thank you that you give us your word and, and it renews our minds by your spirit and and even this morning, I'm reminded afresh that, that even this, this sermon is all meant to, to, to point to you, that this time together is all meant for us to, to grow in our adoration, our worship of you, 
of, of Jesus, your son. And, and Lord, thank you that in your holy love that you did not leave us in our sin, that you came for us in Jesus, that you lived a perfectly holy, righteous life, and that you died for us as unholy sinners. And yet that, that we're, not, we're not stuck there because Jesus already took on all of your wrath for us. That in him that we are being made holy to prepare us for an eternity where we will be face to face with the Holy One, where we will see you as you are and that we will be made like you. Thank you, God, for that hope that we have this morning. And God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here that if any are feeling that they're feeling their sin, they're feeling dry, they're feeling like they need a fresh wind this morning to be on mission for you, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come and that you would remind them of who you are and of who they are in you. And Lord, just fill them with a fresh fire of, of a, a, a passion to, to know you and a passion to have others know you this week. As they come off of a, of a full holiday weekend, would they go into their schools? Would they go into their homes and their workplaces? And would they know afresh that they have your Holy Spirit in them, empowering them, and that they are never alone? and that you long to use them to be a messenger for you. And we pray that you would do this all, Jesus, for the glory of your matchless and holy name. We pray this in your name, amen.